you so much for coming out. I know many of you have worked a long day, gone to school today. You've done a lot today. And to see you gathered together with God's people tonight to study God's word, it's extremely encouraging. So God bless you. God bless you very much for your faith. Okay, grab the Heavenly Library, if you would, please. And let's take down, once again, the Gospel of Luke and go to Luke chapter 5. I am partial in many ways to the Gospel of Luke. Because when you go to the very beginning of this book, Luke writes as if he is an investigative reporter. He says, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of writings. There's been a lot of investigation. There's been a lot going on. But I want you to know, I kind of went through it all, and I've picked out what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is true. And to a large degree, even past the first century, Luke's gospel became the most comprehensive gospel in that respect. That he shares so much detail. And maybe it was because he was a physician. Maybe detail was very important to him. But I think what was more important to Luke, even more than that, is like all the gospel writers, he wanted to share an important story. And so it's personal. He writes to his friend, Theophilus. We don't know a lot about Theophilus. But what it does is it shares to us the message in a very personal way. So maybe try to think tonight. Luke is saying, you got to hear this. Don't miss this. And when we get to Luke chapter 5, we're going to find he's going to share with us an amazing miracle. Now, I don't know about you, but miracles often come across as if they're great children's stories that we share in VBS. Not not that we don't like to study the miracles, but this is actually one of those stories that always seems to be a VBS story. It's the story of Jesus telling the disciples to go out and and, and go fishing again, and and, and they're going to pull fish into the boat, and we go, wow, that's a great VBS story. I'm going to get a big boat, and I'm going to put it in the room. We'll get a net. We'll get a bunch of these little fishies. The kids are going to jump in the boat. Well, this is going to be great, and it's a great illustration, and it is. It's one of the powerful miracles in which our Lord shows the world, I am the Son of God. But what we need to keep in mind as good Bible students, which you are, is that each miracle was just a sign pointing to something better. Uh, Those of you that have little kids, isn't it amazing that even at a very young age, they have the superpower to see a Chick-fil-A from 50 miles away. Have y'all noticed that? Chick-fil-A! Oh, Chick-fil-A! Right? Well, well nobody, nobody goes, whoa, a Chick-fil-A sign. And they pull up to the sign and everybody goes, whoa, Chick-fil-A! Say, no, no, you know that's a sign. And it's just simply saying, hey, a great chicken sandwich is over here. Incredible waffle pies are over here. You don't go and fall down at the sign and go, whoa, that's an incredible sign. You get the message. It says go over here. You ever been to Disney World? Anybody been to Disney World? The the, the sign of Disney World when you're coming into Disney World? You know, they have that big archway sign. Do you know what they actually have out in front of the big archway sign? Or other smaller signs with a flashing light saying, don't stop. Don't stop because tourists, and we've all probably fallen into this trap, we get out and we want to take a picture at the sign. And I'm passing by going, get in your car. It's much better in here. 
That's just the sign. There's some roller coasters in there. There's a great castle over there. And, and so here's, here's what I want you to see, and this is so important. John, in his gospel, even like Luke and others, says don't get caught up in the miracle. The miracle has a message. And there is a more important point that is being made with the miracle. So when you get to Luke 5, here's how Luke does. He does it again, just like we saw last night. And on one occasion. That's how we talk. And on one occasion. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked Simon to put out a little from the land. And he sat down. And he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out deep. Go out deep. And let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And when they had come and helped them, they filled the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You heard that before? Sure. Sure you have. Even people that probably aren't believers have heard this story before. We see in this story a miracle. But it's not just any miracle. This is the miracle in which we often look at it as this where it all begins. But I need to establish a little context for you. This isn't the first time that Peter has had an encounter with the Lord. Uh, if you were to actually kind of go back into the story, you would find that he had already heard Jesus speak. Andrew had already gone and said, hey, you got to come hear this guy. And Jesus had actually even been in Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law. No mother-in-law jokes now at this time, all right? But he healed his mother-in-law. And here's something else you need to know about this story. Very important. I don't know what goes on in your mind when you think back to these guys, Peter, James, John, 
all these other guys who you just see dropping everything and following Jesus. So for some reason in our mind, we kind of go, well, you know, they really didn't have much in the first place. I mean, they probably didn't have a lot going on. They didn't have a big business. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe Matthew, a tax collector, maybe he was cashing in a little bit, but it probably wasn't a good exchange. He was probably cheating on the side. So he probably needed to get away from that anyhow. Whatever they were, no, no, no. Fishing, especially in the Sea of Galilee, was actually a good business. The boats... The boats were not your Uncle Bobby's fishing vessel. They weren't a John boat with two seats and a cooler. No, they were huge. And historians tell us that anywhere from 10 to 12 fishermen could actually be in a boat at the time. And they would take it out, these huge vessels, out into the water. The, the boat was so big, Jesus slept in the front of it, laid down and went to sleep. It wasn't a bass boat. And notice this. It's also expressed in the story by Luke. Peter and Andrew had other guys working with them, and they had partners, James and John, in their boats. They were making money. And on this day, they were making more money than they ever had before. Let's look at the story and break it down. I want you to see this story is certainly about discipleship, but discipleship begins with being a follower of one who is discipling you. And so what you find in this story, and Luke wants us to see this, is you see the Lord. You see Lord Jesus. And what do you see in Lord Jesus? You see He's powerful. How powerful is He? Even His words. His words release His power. Now, this is kind of interesting when you think about the Lord's words. I, I don't know about you, but I've always marveled. I've always marveled that the world began with God spoke. All right? God spoke. All right? Anybody here have a dog? Can you speak that dog into doing something? Like, no. Like, sit. No. Sit. Sit. You, you force it to sit. You know? I, I, my words are not very powerful. Even with people I think love me. Would you do this for me? Would you please? You know? But God's words are so powerful. His words are so powerful. He creates with words. And in this instance, Jesus' words were, would you just go out a little deeper? For those of you that have a heart for evangelism, please don't miss this. It's the words of Jesus that say. You don't have to fancy it up. And sometimes we're afraid to share the words. Well, what if, what if? Trust the words. Secondly, He's a holy Lord. If you were to look for a, almost a parallel text where you say, hmm, I think I've seen this play out before, what comes to my mind is Isaiah 6. But when Isaiah is presented with the glory and the power of God, what does he do? He immediately falls down, right? He immediately falls down. 
And what's interesting is when he falls down before the Lord, he falls down and he goes, oh, I am a man of unclean lips. I mean, he immediately remembers, I am not worthy of this. And that's exactly what Peter does. Peter gets it. Why? Because his Lord is holy. All my goodness has now just been thrown out of this boat. I shouldn't even be in your presence. I recognize who you are. But then Luke wants us to see this. Yeah, He's powerful. Yes, He's holy. But He's gracious. For He reached down and He grabs Peter and says, I can use you. From now on, your life is going to be different. Throughout the Old Testament, if you ever saw a fishing analogy, it generally wasn't a good thing. It, it, it's usually a warning. It's, it's actually, it's usually judgment in fish hooks. They are carried off, and we even see that. We even see that to a large degree, not just in the book of Amos, but you also see it in Habakkuk. Habakkuk opens up, and you made the people like fish in the sea, and the wicked foe pulls them out with hooks and catches them in a net. I mean, it's not a beautiful image at all. Jesus says, I'm going to take that same image, and I'm going to make it beautiful for you. And although this is not a judgment text, I want you to see and understand it's about a new beginning on life. Something ends. Something else begins. And what began this day was discipleship. Discipleship. There's five things I want us to see in this text that point out to us, well, what is a true disciple? First of all, a disciple. A disciple loves to hear the Word. And they love to hear the Word being taught. Go back to the story because you got to see this. Alright? How long have Peter and the rest been fishing? How long have they been fishing? All night. Anybody ever gone to church on a Sunday morning after working all night? Oh, yeah. Isn't that fun? And you go and you have to sit in the pew. And that day, the preacher's all fired up. Here's what you got to see. <laughs> Peter's kind of like, okay, we're over here watching our boats. Oh, there's Jesus again. This is great. Maybe he won't see us. Maybe he won't see us. Hey, can I use your boat? Now? You want it now? And, and I want you to notice, look in the text. Jesus said, Peter, can I take your boat? And then he gets him to push the boat out there. And then Jesus sits down in the boat. Peter had to sit on the front row. And he's stuck on the front row. Can you imagine? And let's just be honest. Jesus didn't preach sermonettes. <laughs> I don't think our Lord ever preached sermonettes. In this story, notice Luke doesn't even tell us the sermon. Oh, I'm going to move on past that. <laughs> but disciples love to hear the word taught. In Psalms 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. And to the disciple, this is so important. To the disciple, the word of God is like air being breathed into us. In fact, all scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. What does the word inspired mean? God what? 
God breathed. Until there's life that is breathed into the body, there is no life. Even in the valley, it's dry bones. In Ezekiel 37, there's skin on them. Hey, they may have the sinews all in place. They may have it until God breathed life. Well, that's what it is for a disciple. The Word of God is like our life. It is breathed in us. In, in the Psalm, Psalm 1, it is the Word of God that is providing all the nourishment we need. It's like our water. It's like drinking and drinking and drinking so we can be hydrated and hydrated and hydrated. And then Jesus in John 6 says, It's me. I am your manna. I am the bread of life. And, and, and that's what the word is for Jesus. Okay, let me blow your mind for something real quick and then I'm going to move on because I, I don't need you getting too lost here at the beginning of the lesson. But have you ever wondered what John meant when he began his gospel? In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word what? Was with God. The Word what? Was God. Who's the Word? Jesus. Whoa. Whoa. Have you ever really thought of the Word itself being Jesus? I have uh, some recordings on my phone that are very precious to me. Every time I change a phone, I, don't, I can't lose these voicemails. They are the important ones. I got a voicemail from my dad. I got D. Bowman. And you know why those are so important to me? Because I can't hear those voices anymore. But anytime I go to my phone, they're speaking to me. Every time you go to the Word, the Word, and who's the Word? Jesus. He's speaking directly to you. Here's what He would tell you. That's why disciples love the Word of God. And then disciples obey. Uh, very similar to what we saw in the story last night with the ten lepers. But this time, they're going to obey in something that doesn't make sense at all. This doesn't make sense. So these are professional fishermen. Uh, Phil tonight came and brought me something pretty cool. It's often fun when you go to a meeting and somebody goes, Hey, I got something for you. Check that out. I got some worms that he guarantees are going to catch bass. Guarantee. I told you to try these out. See how well it works. Do I need to go deeper? Hey, have you ever had somebody go, hey, I got a good fishing idea for you. I don't even fish it up. Would you just go a little deeper? Seriously? Seriously? Do they have a rangefinder on these things? How'd that work? Did they see the big going? I mean, it made no sense. And I know, I know, I know that Peter and the others went, seriously? Did he just say go out deeper? We were there all night. And don't you imagine Andrew was going, no, 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 Peter. No, Peter. Look at the text, if you would, please. I, I think Luke bears this out for us. Master, we toiled all night. A.K.A., this is crazy. <laughs> you, you think we don't know what we're doing? <laughs> and Jesus replied, yeah, yeah. But I know what I'm doing. 
but at your word will let down the nets. They shut down their business on the greatest day they ever had. I know a lot of people who changed jobs because it just wasn't working out, man. I had nothing going on. We couldn't find any business. It wasn't working out for me. I I need to change. But I don't know many people that had the greatest day ever and they went, "Ah, I'm out. I'm out. What happened? What happened? Anybody here ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? (laughs) Did you know that there is a Chuck E. Cheese principle? I figured this out when my kids were young and they wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese with their cousins. And so we show up to Chuck E. Cheese. I've heard about it all my life. You see them everywhere. And you hop in there. Man, this is great. I'm going to be the greatest dad ever. I'm taking my kids to Chuck E. Cheese. We're going to go in there. We're going to have a good time with everybody else. And you, and you, and you go and you eat the pizza. <laughs> You've had it. I've had cardboard. Literally. The taste of it. Just, just put some, you know, some ketchup on some cardboard and I would be, you know, and so I mean, my wife picks up on me. I'm not one of these guys that's really good at hiding my emotions. And, and, and she, I went, oh, whoa. And she's like, Mm-mm, mm-mm. Not today. You're happy today. Right? Okay, okay, we're happy. We're happy today. We're happy for the kids. And then we got over. Okay, let's go play on the games. We're playing the games. And so I'm the greatest dad in the world. Everybody has tokens. Everybody's going around having something. And then my kids realized if you started playing this one game, this skee ball game, you could get tickets. Like, well, what's the tickets for? Well, you get tickets. And you go over to the counter, you get some prizes. So me, like any dad does, I go over there to check out the prizes. Okay, all right, we're in this together. And I start putting money in the machine, and we're throwing the skee ball, and we're working, and pretty soon I've got $55 going. And we got all our tickets. And we went over to the machine, and the machine counts them out. 1,132 tickets. Oh, yeah, Dad is the man. And so Dad goes over to the counter with his kids, and he's feeling like it's king of the world. And this little teenager comes to the stand and, and comes by the cash register, braces on their face, you know, like they were just born. Where do you I said, hey, I got a lot of tickets here. Yeah, well, you can get whatever your tickets are worth. And I said, well, I want that up to the top. And I pointed to the Nintendo 2000. And that little kid goes, 10 million tickets. <laughs> 10 million tickets? Are you sick? And my kids, only my kids are. Don't worry, don't worry. Dad's into this. Uh, the big stuffed animal in row two. 552,000 tickets. Gee, good night. I said, what can I get for 1,132 tickets? And you go through the counter and you're going all the way down to the bottom of the corner. This is a true story. You have a pencil, a bouncy ball, and a rubber lizard. There was fake barf, and I knew Cheryl would not even get near that. So it's a pencil, a bouncy ball, or a rubber lizard. I look at my kids and I go, we're coming back, and Dad's going to come loaded, and we're going to get... And my wife's like, <laughs> and the kid behind the counter is just smiling. Which one do you want? Rubber lizard! <laughs> so I get a rubber lizard. 
a rubber lizard for fifty-five dollars. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese isn't a mouse; he's a rat. <laughs> all dried up underneath the couch and car seat and the M&M's and the french fries and everything. You laugh at that story because you can't. Why did they drop everything they have? Because they realized what I'm chasing is not as valuable is what he offers. Barry touched on it. But it's a great challenge for all of us living in America. We live with American Christianity in mind. Go make all the money I want. Go get all the things that I want. Go buy all the things that I need. And then if I have a time left over, I'll give to the Lord or I'll serve. And let's just be honest. We've all fallen into that trap because that is the American definition of Christianity. Not that having things is wrong. But how many times do we use jobs, kids, possessions, busyness of life as an excuse for not doing spiritual easy it's easy these men and don't miss this James makes I'm sorry uh, Luke makes it clear their boats were filled to the rim they were sinking with fish no one no one in the fishing business had ever had a day like this And their eyes didn't immediately go ka-ching. They went, Jesus. I'm going to change you. And then the third thing, and this is so important. Uh, immediately, Peter, like any of us, would fall on our face and we'd say, Lord, be merciful to me. Absolutely, we would all do the same thing. But here's what Jesus does. He goes, I need you. I need you. Sinfulness is not an excuse. Don't use sinfulness as an excuse. Well, I'd love to be... Don't use your sinfulness as an excuse because the Lord not only forgives your sin, He shows you a path to be a person who can live a righteous life. Listen to Him. Follow His plan. Be a person who takes what Satan has damaged and allow the Lord to recreate it as a potter would pound the clay and turn it now into a beautiful vessel. Paul says this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You want to have an excuse? I got an excuse. I was a murderer. I was a man who used religion to my advantage. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me wasn't in vain. 
On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Peter, get up. That's why. That's why I need you. And what's interesting is he took the person who had the most impulsive mouth. And he took that tongue and made it in to the proclaimer of one of the greatest preachers that would ever walk the earth. And the Lord gave him the privilege of preaching the first gospel sermon because a true disciple is a fisher of men. A true disciple realizes their calling is to be an ambassador for the king, to represent the king, and to do what they can to reach others and search others. It doesn't mean that we all have to teach. It doesn't mean that we all have to preach. But it does mean that every single one of us have a gift to share in the Master's kingdom. Every single one of us have a part to play when it comes to evangelism. If you were to visit right now our family in Christ down in Valrico, the way we have it set up like this, we have some people who are just super fun, nice people. You know where you put them? At the front door. They're the, they're, they're the office of first impressions. After them, you have the people who love to get names and they can remember names and they are greeters. And then you have those who are teachers who are taking the families and taking them to class. And then you have those who are the teachers who are going to follow up with the visitors. And then you have the elders who are going to make sure everyone is shepherd and is following the Lord. Every single body there has a part to play in this fishing vessel. Boy, Peter thought he had a lot of catch in the boat that day on the lake. <laughs> First day he preached a sermon. What did he catch? 3,000. I know it's kind of interesting. You may not realize this, but you go to the end of the Gospel of John. And Jesus preached the same sermon twice. Because <laughs> some people need to hear it twice. And so they went fishing again. And this time he said, hey, try the other side of the boat. What? Yeah, the other side of the way. Remember that? And do you remember what John said? They caught 153 fish. That's a big catch. No, 3,000. 3,000. That's a big catch. A couple of chapters later, 5,000. A little bit later, it's spread throughout all Judea. A little bit later, it's going all up into the region of, of Galatia through the work of Paul. A little bit later, it's hit the whole world. And 2,000 years later, the words of Peter, James, and John are still catching fish today. Oh, Peter, it's in nothing. But that's who we are. We can't help it. Disciples make disciples. And then last, this is what you see at the end of the story. This is the part that's so powerful. A disciple will forsake all to follow him. Now I want you to look at this a different way. We often look at commands like this and we go, oh man, that's a burden. And it is a challenge. I get it. And, and we sometimes say, well, you need to love the Lord more than mother and father. You need to love the Lord. And yes, yes, we almost almost kind of have to pound the pulpit. You better, you better, or you're not getting you better. But I want you to think about it from the way 
Peter and the others saw it that day. Forsaking a fishing business, even on your most lucrative day, is not a bad thing if you realize you got a much better offer. A much better offer. And so they dropped their nets. They dropped their nets and they forsook everything to follow me. A little later in the Gospel of Luke, in fact, in Luke 14, verse 33, it reminds all of us that he who does not forsake all he has is not worthy of it. Paul will remind all of us in the letter to the Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I got a better offer. He'll say it like this to the brethren of Corinth. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. I have greater value in this fishing business than I'll ever have in this one. Peter will actually say it like this in his epistle that we're studying. You weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. And that can be valuable. There was a better price. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's better. And if there's anything that a disciple realizes, we're able to see with clarity of vision what's better. What's better? Toiling your whole life, slaving away, only to be conned by Satan, to toil in your life for nothing more than a rubber lizard, or to allow the Master to take you the one who's redeemed you and changed you into more than you could ever imagine. His very own, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, who now by the power through the gospel has the incredible ability to give to someone else a gift that will last forever. The gift of salvation. <clears throat> Had a dear friend living in Melbourne who worked in a soup kitchen a lot. And one day she came home to her husband and she was just crying her eyes out. And I can imagine what it's like working in places that devote themselves to that kind of servitude. Once she kind of calmed down, my friend Linus goes, 
Barbara, why, why are you crying so much more today? And she started to tell the story of a nine-year-old girl that came up there that day and stood in line. And the general custom was if you had a dollar or two, you could eat. But this little girl got in there in the line and, and, and she wouldn't talk, wouldn't say anything. And so finally Barbara goes, what's wrong? What's wrong, honey? And the little girl went, I don't have a dollar. And Barbara went, that's okay. That's okay. I'll take care of you. Come on in. Come on in. The little girl says, I don't think I can. She goes, well, why not? She goes, I, I can't hang around, y'all. This is a nine-year-old. See, I don't think God loves me very much. How could he? I don't even have a dollar. So Barbara just immediately started hugging on this little girl and telling her how much she loved her and cared for her and you need to come on in. And After a while, after the little girl had eaten and they'd spent some time together, her countenance changed. When she got through telling that story to Linus, Linus goes, so why are you crying? <laughs> you got to do a good deal. She goes, you don't get it. You don't get it. That little girl needed to hear that her heavenly father loves her. And God chose me to do it. Wow. God chose me. Peter, what do you want to catch? Fish? Or souls? What do you want? I'm dropping my net. I'm dropping my net and following Jesus. And to anyone here tonight who is thinking about your life, I want you to understand this is what discipleship is. And this is what we get to do. This is what we get to be. To share hope to a hopeless world. To give life to what is dead. To give a bountiful treasure to what is grasping and nothing more than lizards. And maybe that's you tonight. You need to have your sins washed away in the blood of Christ? Don't sit there. Come on. Come home to me. But maybe you're a disciple and you just haven't had the faith you should. Come. Let's pray together. I'm with you. Sometimes we need to be reminded to drop the nets. Whatever we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, won't you come while we stand and sing?